In the early 1970s, um, there was a man named Nolan Bushnell, and uh, he founded the company that uh, would eventually produce the Atari home-based video game system. Anybody have an Atari? A few of you. All right. Okay. All right. That was before my time. Uh, so congratulations. Okay. So uh, I've heard stories, though. I hear it was great. Um, so uh, Nolan Bushnell founded this company that eventually produced the Atari home-based home base video system. And as like Atari got increasingly successful uh, and they were developing uh, future plans, he had to obviously hire some engineers and developers to kind of help with uh, future products. And so uh, in 1976, one of those engineers that he had hired, he, he, this guy had since moved on, so he was a former engineer, uh, he came to Bushnell and he said, hey, uh, I am, I've developed this product and I want to invite you to be a part of it. Um, and so the invitation that he extended to uh, Bushnell was, was basically, I will give you one-third ownership of, of this product if you will spot me 50 grand up front. Okay? Now, that's a pretty significant ask. Right? We, can, we can all agree with that. So Bushnell thinks it over. You know, is this really worth it? Ultimately, he decides, you know what? I don't know that I really believe in this product. Um, so he decides not to invest $50,000 of his own money uh, in this product. And so uh, he you know, ultimately decided to just decline the invitation and just kind of went about his business as a top-level executive at uh, the Atari company. And so um, before this morning, you had no idea who Nolan Bushnell was. Right? Anybody show of hands know who that is? Nobody, right? What I am willing to bet is that you do know the engineer that offered him the invitation. And if you don't know him, you certainly know his products, okay? Uh, Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. Many of us in here have multiple Apple products. Uh, I have, within an 18-inch range, I have three of them right now, okay? My iPad, my watch, my phone. Um, it was Steve Jobs, former engineer at Atari, that came to Bushnell and said, hey, if you'll invest a little bit here, then I'll give you uh, one-third ownership of this company. So he declined the invitation, did not put up $50,000, uh, and now the company that Steve Jobs started, founded, uh, is worth about $3 trillion. So I'm not, I'm not a mathematician, okay, um, but I, if, if he were to own a third of the company, I think that means he would be worth almost $1 trillion right now. Um, so, and if he was a member of this church and tithed, I mean, imagine what we could do, right? Um, now, I bring all that up because what we're going to see this morning is a similar, a similar situation in which you're going to have uh, a successful uh, man who's going to be given an invitation from Jesus, right? And what we're going to find is that he ultimately turned down the invitation of a lifetime, really an invitation beyond this lifetime, invitation to experience eternal life, eternal words. He turns it down um, for just a measly amount. All right, so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, we're going to read down through verse 22, and then uh, I'm going to spend some time talking about it. So, 
Let's read together. Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And the man said to him, Which ones? And then Jesus responded, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump in, all right? Father, come to you this morning, um, removed from the context of the world in which you brought these words. Um, But Father, there's still a word for us here this morning. And so would you meet with us now, Lord, would your spirit just be present among us in this preaching moment, uh, that we would, um, Lord, not cease worshiping just because the music stops, but we would worship in our hearing and receiving and ultimately our responding to your word. Um, So Father, would you uh, just meet with us in a special way this morning, help us to to hear what you want us to hear, to receive what you want us to receive. Um, Lord, to to respond as we should respond, whatever that looks like for us individually in this room. So Lord, we we pray uh, that you would guide us. We trust that you will guide us, and we ask that you would in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to set up the scene, you've got this exchange here between uh, what my Bible calls a rich, the rich young man. Right? Elsewhere in the Bible, the other Gospels in, in Mark and Luke uh, referred to as rich young ruler or some variation. But either way, what you've got is uh, this young man. We don't know much about him other than the fact that he is rich. Uh, he clearly has been either successful or he's got an inheritance. He's got some things going for him, right? Rich young man. Uh, and, and I want to give the guy some credit, okay, because he's at least thinking in the right direction. Right. Most people, in general, aren't really that concerned with eternal matters. Okay, 80-some percent of Hardin County is not in church on any given Sunday, which suggests to me that the vast majority of people don't put a lot of thought into eternity. Okay? But, but here you have a young man that's thinking towards eternity. Right? And, and like, Aside from the fact that most people don't, especially young people, right? when we're young, we kind of think like we're invincible, right? Um, I've learned as I'm approaching middle age, like I'm not as invincible as I thought I once was, right? I wake up, like I hurt myself in my sleep. Anybody else do that? So, so give him some credit. Like he's thinking towards the right direction, okay? And so, um, but, but evidently this guy, for, for, for all of his thinking, like he, he feels like there's, there's something lacking here, right? I've got 
possessions, I've got riches, I've got money, I've got wealth, I've got material things, but I'm, I'm just missing something. And so he brings, like he's feeling the weight of eternity and he brings his question to Jesus and says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Okay, and so, so not only is he thinking towards eternal matters, let's give him some more credit, he brings his question to the right person. Okay, either, uh, it's conjecture here, but we don't, we don't know how he knows to bring his question to Jesus, but he does. Maybe he's heard about this Jesus guy kind of roaming the, uh, the area around Jerusalem and kind of the surrounding area. Maybe he's heard about his teaching, heard about his wisdom. Um, maybe he's heard about his miracles. Maybe he's like firsthand account experienced these miracles. Right? Maybe he was in one of the crowds earlier in the book of Matthew where Jesus fed like thousands of people using just like meager rations. Okay, we don't know how he knows to bring the question to Jesus, but he brings the question to Jesus, so let's give him some credit for that. Right? He brings his question about eternal life to the one who could actually answer it. Okay, but, but the question he asks also reveals some misunderstandings. Okay, Because look at it again. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Right, so to some degree, this rich man believes that in order to have access to eternal life, like there's, there's something that he has to, to do, right? Like there's some, like, like he's asking, what good deeds do I need to do? What good behavior do I need to exhibit? Uh, what, what good things do I need to have on my resume in order to be granted eternal life? Okay, and so Jesus responds. He just kind of shifts the conversation. Jesus is really good at this. You read through the Gospels. He, he shifts the conversation uh, away from what this young man would have to do to receive eternal life, and, and he reorients the conversation towards the one who actually gives eternal life. Right? Look what he says in verse 17. And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Right? And then he continues, If you would enter eternal life, Keep the commandments. Okay, now, at face value, surface level, that looks like Jesus is sort of affirming this guy's understanding that he has to do something to inherit eternal life. Right, Jesus says, hey, keep, keep the commandments. You want to experience eternal life? Keep the commandments. Surface level looks like he's saying like, okay, there are things you must do to inherit eternal life. But really what's happening here, as we're going to see, is this guy's playing checkers and Jesus is playing chess. Right? He does that a lot. What Jesus is going to do, he's going to use this, this man's understanding of the commandments and his obedience to the commandments. He's going to use God's law to, to reveal to this guy like that he's, he's the, the true condition of his heart. Okay? So Jesus says, hey, you want to experience eternal life, keep the commandments, to which the young man responds in verse 18. Well, which ones? Valid question. Okay? And here's where Kind of Jesus goes in, in the back half of verse 18. Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Right? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so Jesus responds to this man's questions. Which laws do I need to keep to inherit eternal life? And he responds by just listing off some of the uh, what we would know as the Ten Commandments. Right? And, and last week, I, I, I said this last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, it's fine. Um, that, that the law 
the, like God's commands, the Old Testament law, they function sort of like a, an MRI or a CT scan or some sort of diagnostic test, right? They have no power to save, right? Just like you go to the doctor, you get a CT scan. It reveals something wrong with you. That scan has zero ability to actually save you. But what it can do is reveal, like, there's something going on inside of you that needs to be addressed. Right? And so Jesus here runs some diagnostic tests on this rich man, right? Not because Jesus doesn't know what's going on, because Jesus knows exactly what's going on, but he wants to bring it to the surface so that this guy sees it for himself. Right? So he, he lists off sort of the back half of the Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, um, these are kind of the, what we would say, like the horizontal commands, the way that we're supposed to relate to one another as God's people. And so he lists them off. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Okay, and then he throws in uh, kind of the, the back half of what we would call the great commandment. There's another place in scripture where some people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he says uh, a couple things, but one of the things that he says is you shall love your neighbor as as yourself, right? So this guy asks, hey, what commands do I keep? Jesus rattles off like half the Ten Commandments, half the Great Commandment, uh, and then um, what, what we see next is the, the, the rich man hears these commands. And as he's hearing them, he's like, yeah, I've, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I'm, I think I'm in pretty good shape, right? Verse 20, it says, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, but what do I still lack? Right, this man views his obedience to the law as, as complete. And we can debate whether or not, does, do we really think he kept all these commands perfectly? Probably not. But he's probably a pretty moral, upstanding guy. Right, he's, he's probably like somebody who's taken the law seriously and tried to the very best of his ability to keep the law the, the best that he could. And so whether or not he's actually kept them perfectly is besides the point. He probably has not, okay? But either way, like, he's, he's been pretty good at it. The, the point is, this dude is not, like, wild now, like, reckless rebel, right? He's not the prodigal son, right? He's been pretty good at striving to keep God's law. But, but despite his perfect, like, track record of obedience or really good track record of obedience, evidently there's something still eating at, like, the deepest places in his soul, Right? Despite his obedience to the law and his checking it off, I did that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. There's some sort of void, some sort of emptiness in the deepest parts of his heart. And like he knows something is still lacking. Right? And that's what he says. What do I still lack? I've done all that, but I still feel empty. I've done all that, but I still feel like I'm missing something. Right? I've, I've done all that, but there's a longing in my soul that like, I can't satisfy. I don't know what to do with it. And so Jesus seizes this moment. And he's going to reveal to this young man that he's not quite as good at commandment keeping as he thinks he is. Right? Look at verse 21. Right? Here's Jesus' invitation to this man. It says, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect. In other words, if your obedience is really complete, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
Right? So that's the invitation that, that Jesus gives us, man. All your stuff, give it away to the poor, and then you come and you follow me. And then we see the man sort of immediately like send in his RSVP, right? We don't, we don't get a response from him verbally, but, but here's what we see in verse 22. When the young man heard this, heard Jesus' invitation, sell your stuff, come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Maybe your version says sad. For he had great possessions. Now I want you to, to think about like what's happening here. The whole encounter starts with this man coming to Jesus and saying, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, what do I need to do to get, he's looking for eternal life. All right, trying to fill that, that hole, that void in his heart, in the deepest parts of his soul, that longing that he just can't seem to satisfy. What do I need to do to inherit, to receive, to, like, what do I need to experience eternal life? Okay. And then he actually goes to the one who's able to, to tell him, right? And Jesus actually explains to him, here's what you need to do. This is what you need to do to receive eternal life. So this thing that he's searching for, this thing that he's trying to fill the longing in his soul, it's laid like right before him. The whole reason for this interaction, eternal life. And it's right there for him to take hold of. It's, I mean, it's on a platter right in front of him. But rather than taking Jesus up on the invitation, what happens? He went away sorrowful, right? And, and I want to like, like let that sink in for a minute. It's, it's not that he didn't find what he was looking for. It's, it's not that his, it's not that he kind of rolled his eyes and was like, ugh, this Jesus guy, just ridiculous. The fact that he went away sorrowful or, or sad seems to suggest that this man knew exactly what was required of him. He knew exactly the choice he would have to make in order to follow Jesus and find eternal life. There's no, there's no like confusion here. The decision is right before him. You can have your stuff or you can have eternal life. So it's not that he doesn't know. It's not that he hasn't found it. It's not that he's confused. It's just that when the decision's laid before him, am I going to take Jesus up on this invitation? Or am I going to keep my stuff? He, he chooses his stuff. Right? He chooses the temporary over the eternal. Right? He chooses like treasures that are fleeting over and above treasures that are forever. He, to, to use kind of the phrase I've heard before, he uses the stuff of future landfills and garage sales. He chooses that over eternal rewards that, that Jesus says uh, are, are treasures in heaven that are kept where neither moth nor rust can destroy. Right, this guy chooses the stuff that, that one day when he's gone, he's got to leave it all behind to somebody else. Right, leave it all behind to some uh, kid or conjecture to a kid who's probably just going to sell it all in an estate sale, right? And he chooses that over the eternal life that he was searching for just moments ago, right? But here's what I want you to see: the problem is not that he had stuff. 
The problem is not that this guy had a lot of stuff. The problem was that his stuff had him. Right? The problem was that he looked to like these possessions and material stuff. And he looked to all of that and it gave him, man, it, it gave him a sense of identity and a sense of worth and meaning and purpose. Like it, it was what controlled him and motivated him. He was effectively a slave to his great possessions. Right? And, and he submitted to these things as the ultimate authority in his life. Like they were his functional God. Like these are the things that I find meaning and purpose and significance in. They rule me. I submit to them. So when he's given the chance between eternal life and his stuff, he chooses his stuff. Right? And, and here's like the irony of this is even though that this guy had, had probably been really good at keeping the commandments, at least the back half that Jesus addressed here, right? he'd been really good at kind of relating to others, he'd been really good at keeping the, the Ten Commandments, like he'd, he'd missed the first commandment. Yeah, he hadn't murdered, he hadn't committed adultery, he hadn't bared false witness, he, like, he's good at that, but, but he totally missed God's command, you shall have no other gods before me. Dude worshipped his stuff, worshipped his great possessions, worshipped his wealth. They were his little g God. Right? He, he kept the back half of the great commandment. Right? He, he loved his neighbor as himself. He just forgot the first half of that, which was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Right? Because his first and ultimate and primary love was his stuff. Right? What's, what's really happened here is, is this rich young man has chosen the little G God of, of money and material over the one true God who, who gives eternal life. Right? That's really what's happened here. And so as we kind of think through, like, what, okay, what does it mean for us? Right? How do we hear this? We receive this? We're supposed to do something with this? What, what does this mean for us? Um, I want to stay zoomed in here for just a second. Um, because there are, there are two wrong ways to apply sort of this sort of account that we have. There's two wrong ways to apply it. The first sort of misapplication is to universalize it. And what I mean by that is the first wrong way to apply it is to be like, well, Jesus told this rich young man to sell all his stuff and give it to the poor and come follow him. So everyone, everywhere, that's going to follow Jesus, needs to give all their stuff away to the poor and then go follow Jesus. All right, that would be a wrong way to apply the text. All right, and that's, so there's one ditch on one side of the road. But the other side is, the other danger is to like under apply the text. All right, to, to hear this story and think like, yeah, but that was back then. We live in 2023 and Jesus has some modern sensibilities and so he would never ask anyone to sell all their stuff and give it to the poor and then come follow him. He would never require that of anybody. I'm like, he might. It depends on what's gripped your heart. Right? Depends on like what you worship. Because we're all worshiping something. Right? We're all prone to kind of stray and like find our purpose and identity and significance and meaning and comfort and security and, and a million other things. And those things become our our items of worship, right? And the, the reality 
like just thinking through the context here, sort of the immediate context, the reality is Jesus spent a lot of time in the New Testament, in the, in the sort of the Gospels, talking about the dangers that money can, can bring into our lives and some of the challenges it can bring and the obstacles that money can, can bring into our lives. Right? It, there's a lot, like I have a Bible with red letters. There's a lot of red letters in my Bible that are Jesus talking about the dangers that money presents or the love of money presents. Okay, Jesus talks about money a lot. Probably means we should talk about it more than we do. But then like, that makes everybody uncomfortable and squirm a little bit, especially as we head into Christmas season, right? So we'll just save that for January. Um, the church I grew up in always did money stuff in January, and I'm just making that connection right now. Why? It was like after Christmas, before tax returns. Okay, anyways, maybe we'll talk about money in January. I don't know. We'll see. See, you guys are you're nervous. I, see? The, the quiet, awkward fell on the room. You're like, oh, no, he's talking about money. Um, I'll move on. Like, what makes like money and the love of money such a dangerous thing is like, even though it's a necessary part of living in our society, like it can really easily become that little G God that we look to for security, for comfort, for peace, for contentment, for power, for control. Like it gets abused and misused in a million different ways. Right? And just so we're clear, that is not a temptation just for rich people. Right? The, the poor person that thinks more money would solve all my problems and finally bring me satisfaction and contentment and meaning, and like that person is just as much a slave to money as a rich person who doesn't want to let go of any of it. Right? The, the, it's, it's what we look to for security and meaning and purpose. It doesn't matter like what your financial status is. Like we can all be tempted in that. Okay, so how do you, how do you lay that down? Right, Jesus is saying like here, to this guy, it was a real issue for him. Like how, how do you lay that down? And, and I think what we look to is we look towards eternity. Right, the treasure in heaven that Jesus mentions. Right? If you, to lay that down, we strive towards, to look towards and, and, and take Jesus at his word with what he says a few verses later in verse 29. I didn't read it, but if you're still turned there, the, if you read on through, the, the disciples kind of say, like, basically, Jesus, this is a hard word. Like, what are we supposed to do with this? Right? And he ends up saying, like, listen, I know it's hard, but with God, all things are possible. But then he points to this in verse 29. He says, and everyone who has left house or brothers or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. In other words, like, to lay these things down that we find our comfort, and security, and meaning, and purpose in, like, one of the things we gotta do is just is take Jesus up on his word, and, and look towards eternity. The thing that this guy was looking for, eternal life. That's why Jesus kept directing him to like treasures in heaven. You, you sell all your stuff, give it away, you'll have treasures in heaven. Right? Look towards eternity, eternal rewards. Okay? But, but here's what I want you to see is 
I mean, the immediate context is about wealth and possessions and material and money and those sorts of things, right? But, but like, zoom out here. Jesus is not just talking about possessions here. Like, very acutely, that was this guy's issue, okay? Right? But the point extends far beyond money and material possessions, right? There's an infinite number of things that you and I can be drawn to and kind of like hitch our lives to that we expect to bring us all the words I've said about 17 times already. Comfort, security, satisfaction, contentment, meaning, purpose, power, control. Sometimes it's like our career, like we just invest everything into our career. We're ambitious. We want to get to the top of the company ladder. And that is the thing that drives us because we think that once we get there, then we will have arrived. Right? It can be relationships. Right? We put all of our security and comfort and everything in, in someone else. Right? Only for them to let us down at some point because they always will. Because people make crummy gods. I don't know if you're aware of that yet or not, but like, People make terrible gods. We can look to a million things, right? Image, reputation. I mean, we could, we could go down the list. I don't have time to do that. I'm not going to do that. But, but the point I'm getting at is this is not just an issue of money and materialism. It's an issue of, of what is the thing that grips your heart? Because the reality is God does not call everyone everywhere to give away everything that they have in order to follow him. Right? But God does call everyone everywhere to put nothing above loyalty to him. Right? And so what, what Jesus is offering both to this man, what he offered to this man and what he offers to you and me is, is salvation and the eternal life. And the good news of the gospel is that salvation is not a gift that we have to earn or work for or achieve, right? It's received by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? His, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, right? And while the gospel is a gift to be received and salvation is a gift to be received, that does not mean that it will not cost you anything, right? It absolutely will cost you Whatever keeps you from following Jesus fully, right? whatever that is. For this man, it was money. For you, it might be money. But for you, it might be something that I haven't even said yet this morning. Right? And so what that means is that, that Jesus will be relentless. Like relentless in identifying the thing or the things, for most of us, the thing or the things that, that we are holding on to the things that have control over our hearts, right? the things that keep us from full surrender to Jesus, the things that, that keep us from following him with reckless abandon. Right? He, he will reveal, he'll be relentless in revealing those things, and he will make the just demand that those things be eradicated from our lives. Right? Because to receive to receive Jesus as Savior, which is what it means to receive the gift of salvation, to respond to the gospel, to receive the gift, or to receive Jesus as Savior, is also to receive him as Lord. Like, he's not just Savior. He's 
Savior and Lord. Right? And that carries some weight. And that carries some authority. And, and just so we're clear, like we don't give Jesus authority. He already has all authority. Like what you and I have decided is are we going to submit to the authority? And, and even beyond that, like we will submit to his authority. It's just will we do it now or will we do it one day when he comes to, to judge the world? Everybody in here is going to submit to Jesus' authority. It's just a matter of you're going to do that here and now when, when there's grace and mercy offered to you or are you going to wait until it's too late on the day of judgment to recognize Oh my goodness, everything he said was right. And listen, maybe that sounds harsh, because listen, here's what I know. Last week, we talked about Jesus being gentle and lowly, right? And, and he is. That was Jesus revealing his heart towards, towards his people, right? Jesus is gentle and lowly, right? But, but here's what I want you to see, like, how... If there were something that were holding you, keeping you from following Jesus fully, how unloving would it be right, for him to just like ignore that thing and leave it alone? Right, if there were something that were keeping you from experiencing eternal life, like how unloving would it be for Jesus to just like kind of let you hang on to it? Right, that's like a, a doctor. It's like a doctor saying like, hey. Uh, we, we did some scans this week. You've got a tumor. It is malignant. It will metastasize. It will kill you. But I'm going to pretend like I didn't see it. And so I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, that guy ends up in a civil lawsuit. Right? That guy gets accused of medical malpractice. And so... Why would we, like, like we would expect that, that doctor to cut that thing out, do whatever he's got to do to kill it so that, like, so that we can live. Why would we expect anything less from Jesus who gives eternal life? Of course he's going to identify that thing or those things that would keep you from following him fully, completely, faithfully. Of course he's going to identify the things that would keep you from experiencing eternal life. Right? How cruel would it be for him not to do that? And so for this man, that's what he does. Man, he, just like with a surgeon with a scalpel, he kind of sets this guy up and just reveals, here's the thing that's keeping you from experiencing eternal life. And the reality is, is he's still doing the same thing to us today. Right? This is what the Holy Spirit does, man. Just kind of shows up and begins like pointing things out. And hey, this is an issue in your life. Uh, you're worshiping this thing. Uh, you're allowing this to control you. You're finding your comfort and your security and your meaning here. Like that's, that's what he's still doing today. Right? But the question is, that the question before you this morning, the question before all of us this morning, is will you do what the rich young man wouldn't? Right? When it's, when it's laid before you, it, and the Spirit works in funny ways, right? If you're, if you're leaning in, there's, there's sometimes like, it just brings things to mind in the moment, and you're like, 
oh my goodness, I should do something with that. Right? The question is, is when that's brought to your attention, when it's laid before you, like you can choose this thing or you can choose to follow me. The, the question is, will you lay that thing down? Whatever it is. Could be, could be money. Could be your, your possessions. Could be some relationship that is distracting you from the things of the Lord. It could be some career that like you're just so dead set on getting to the top of the food chain that like you just forget everything else. I mean, it could be any number of things, but when that thing's laid before you, and it's you, you got to give this up in order to follow me. Will you lay it down? Like, like, will you open handed just lay it down and say, "I, I don't want anything over you, Jesus. I don't want anything that would hinder me, weigh me down, act as a parachute that would keep me from following you with." full, reckless abandon. Right, because that's Jesus' invitation to you this morning to lay that thing down and to follow him. That's Jesus' invitation to all of us this morning. Will you lay it down? Will you accept Jesus' invitation to come and follow him? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, Lord, hard words make soft hearts. And I, uh, that's just kind of what I felt this week in, in preparing, that, that you, you will make radical demands of us. You will call us to lay down anything that would hinder us from following you fully and completely with every like, square inch of our lives. So, Father, my prayer this morning, as it has been all week, is this, that you would reveal those things to us. Lord, for those here this morning that, are, um, that are, are Christians, that have professed faith in you, that have responded to your gift of salvation, they've received that through faith. Um, Lord, I pray that you would reveal where things have maybe crept into their lives that, that they're looking to as the source of security and comfort and meaning and purpose and identity. Would you reveal those things that, that we might repent of those things? Lord, would you show us where we need to lay things down and let go of them in order to follow you more fully? I don't know what those things are, but you do. So I pray that by the, Lord, by the power and presence of your spirit, you would just like speak into us individually this morning. Father, I even pray that at a, like a corporate level. I pray that you would reveal to us as a church body wh what are things that we've hitched kind of our church life to that would hinder us from being the kind of church you've called us to be. And the, the reality, Lord, is when you speak in the New Testament, like most of your directions are given to churches. So I even pray that you would reveal to us as a church, a gathering of your people, like where, like what are we looking to that we think matters most? And if it's not following Jesus to the best of our ability, would you eradicate that from among us? And Father, maybe there's one here this morning 
that, that you would say to them this morning, like, come follow me. Receive the gift of salvation for the first time. Repent of your sins. Trust and follow me. I pray that you would, Lord, compel them to do that. I pray that they would respond, they would receive the gift of salvation this morning. And I pray that they would, um, would take you up on the offer of eternal life, not by some good deed that they must do, but by receiving it by faith, trusting in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. So, Father, we pray that you would work as you desire to work this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.